So a couple of weeks ago, I, uh, I did a, a message called The Church, Rescue Boat or Cruise Ship. Well, I tried to go do a different message, but somehow I ended up back here. So this is part two, okay? Um, you know, last year, at the start of a lot of my sermons, I, uh, I challenged people about three things. I felt at the beginning of last year that I was to challenge in each sermon about three things. And... Uh, Hopefully you're going, yeah, yeah, I remember those things. And if you haven't, I'm just going to remind you of those things, just in case. And they were, number one, that I felt as a church, we need to be people that meet needs. We need to meet needs. That's what we're called to do, meet needs around us. It doesn't matter what that is, meet a need, meet people's needs. The second thing I said is, you've got to tell your story. Tell your story and listen to people's story. Your story is powerful. What God's done in your life is powerful, and I've think at times we forget to go back and tell our story because our story has changed us. And the third thing I said, invite someone. Get out of your comfort zone, invite someone for a coffee, invite someone to your house, invite someone to church, but invite someone. So this year I was thinking about what I should do at the beginning of my sermons and I, and I suddenly thought, you know, I wonder how many people, uh, how many people know what our statement of belief is about? And what we believe as Christians. And I thought, okay, over the next, this year, I might just start with taking uh, one of the statements of our beliefs. And so I picked one this morning that fitted with what we got there. And and this is is our, if you go to our, what do we believe? What do we believe? This is one of our statements of belief. We believe that our eternal destination is either heaven or hell. Sorry, we believe that our eternal destination of either heaven or hell is determined by our response to the Lord Jesus Christ. I know it's um, possibly not PC to talk about hell anymore. I remember when I was growing up, they used to say a bit about it. How many people can remember that? And maybe they were a little bit too much on the other side. I don't know, but uh, it seems, and this is in theological circles, that there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of places that are taking hell out of the Bible, even Christians. Like, oh, I find it extremely hard because I think Jesus talked about it the most. And I think, what am I going to do with some of the scriptures? And I do feel that my belief uh, to some people is offensive. If people don't know Jesus, what an offensive thing to say. What, what an arrogant thing to say that if people don't believe in Jesus, they're going to go to hell. It's, it's, it's quite confronting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah I can tell because you're all just standing, sitting there going, oh. I mean, Jesus spoke about hell on several occasions through the gospel. He warned people of the reality of it and the consequences of rejecting him. And this scripture here is probably one of the most well-known in Matthew 25, verse 30 to 1. And I'm just going to read it because I think it speaks for itself. So Matthew 25, verse 31 says, But the Son of Man comes in his glory, or when the Son of Man comes in in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. That was the one we were singing about that he gave up. We're back on there. All the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as, he, as a shepherd 
separate sheep from goats. And he'll place the sheep on his right hand and the goats at his left. We don't like it that God's going to actually judge us. And, you know, I've often said, you know, one of the problems we've got in the church is that as Christians at times we're too judgmental of everyone. And I think that's possibly true. But Jesus is going to judge. He is going to judge. Verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, uh, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to the one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you're doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on his left and say, away with you, you cursed ones, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his, angel and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't, you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't even invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't even give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will cry, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you are refusing to help me. And they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous will go to eternal life. I thought about asking how many people have never heard that before, but don't put your hand up. How many have ever had it read to them in church? I think we had it a lot in the past, but you know, in our attempt to try and make Christianity nice, we don't always preach everything in there, do we? It's pretty hard. Um, there's another passage in nine, uh, Mark 9, verse 43 to 48, which has quite graphic, graphic language about the severity of hell. Um, he says that if, if your hand causes you to stumble, he's trying to say, this is, this is heavy duty. Jesus saying this, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands and go to hell, where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better that you enter life crippled than to have two feet and thrown into hell. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. It's not very nice, is it? I came this morning to church really looking forward to getting encouraged and lifted up and Alan's reading some pretty heavy scriptures in there. That's true. I think Jesus was trying to emphasize, hey, this is, this is big. Sin, sin is big. There's consequences. There's eternity on the line. There's other stories of Lazarus. In all these passages, Jesus is warning us about the reality of hell and urging us to turn away from sin and turn to him for salvation. He doesn't want anyone to end up in hell, 
but it's clear that there are consequences for rejecting him. It's up to us whether we choose to accept his gift of salvation or reject it. Which comes, brings me back to a few weeks ago, I, uh, I talked about the church. Is it a rescue boat or a cruise ship? In a world filled with terminal, uh, like terminal disasters it's, 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 and a world full of pain, the church should be a safe haven, a place where people can find hope, comfort, salvation. But too often we see the church as a cruise ship where people come to be entertained, pampered and have a good time. In my discussions with people over the last couple of weeks, someone said to me, oh, yeah, yeah, but on a cruise ship, they have a hospital. I went, yeah, just for the people in the cruise ship. That's what it's there for. You know, and sometimes we can think we're doing all these things and it's just about, it's just about the brothers and sisters in Christ. The church is not meant to be a cruise ship, but rather a rescue boat, a vessel that goes out into stormy seas to save those who are in danger and bring them to safety. The church is like a rescue group bringing people to safety to help them find their way back to God. We're called to be the workers in the harvest field, to go out into the world and bring people to Christ. We're called to be the good Samaritan who sees a need and went out and, and filled it. We're called to be like disciples. The church is a place where people come not to be entertained, but rather a place where they've come to be transformed. I talked about last week or the other week about Paul. He was chosen. He was chosen. And Jesus said to him, look, you're my chosen instrument to take the message to the Gentiles and to kings and to the people of Israel. Can I tell you, you are chosen for that purpose. How are you going with it? How are you doing So a friend of mine, uh, a few years back, his son went out kayak fishing. Uh, and uh, he went out kayak fishing off the, um, the Manitou Strait. Went out, I think, two, three, four k's out. Was fishing away. Uh, <coughs> I don't know whether he caught any fish. I don't know those details. But his kayak sprang a leak. And uh, <coughs> started to sink. Now, his father had been very good for him and, and had told him, hey, you know, when you, when you go out, you need to take a radio um, and a phone and a flare. Take a flare. You never know what could happen. And uh, he'd gone out in just his wetsuit. He didn't have a life jacket. And uh, he was pretty young, so he sort of looked and thought, yeah, no, I reckon I can swim back. So he grabbed the flare, he grabbed the radio and started swimming. But soon realized it was a bit further than he thought. And it was starting to get dark. And so he thinks, mate, I've, I've got a call for emergency. So he calls on, the, on his uh, radio, calls the Coast Guard, uh, talks to a lady that, that I think was very good in the way that she talked to him, told him to be calm, looks going to be all right. Sent out a boat from Fokatani, sent out a, a, a boat from Makatu, uh, set up a helicopter. We're going to try and find this guy. And they said to him, look, whenever you hear the helicopter, shoot your flare into the air. And so, excuse me, so that's, that's what he did. He heard the helicopter, shot the flare in the air. The helicopter came and just hovered over him. One of the boats got to him and rescued him. Yay. Very close. 
Uh, they did send off to do a bit of an investigation, and those kayaks uh, had had a few problems where they'd sprung a leak. Uh, I don't know what brand they are, so just you just go do your own research if you're into kayak fishing. <laughs> Anyhow, a few weeks later my, later, my friend went down to the Coast Guard with his son to say thank you, bought them a few beers, and, and just said, hey, look, thank you so much. And uh, he said it was quite emotional because... The people there that rescued you, you're, you're so grateful that you've been rescued. And uh, so they have a bit of a conversation. And in the conversation, uh, one of the guys from the Coast Guards, he sort of said, so, you know, does this happen often? You know, do you, you often have people come back? And he said, no. Most people never come back and say anything. And he was quite blown away that people would be rescued and people are rescued all the time. And they might have said thank you there, but they never sort of come back. And uh, he'd been thinking about joining the Coast Guard, and the result was he joined the Coast Guard because he'd seen the effect. He'd seen how amazing it was and how good it was and, and, and uh, how, how, how much he, you know, it helped people and, and rescued people. As I was thinking about this story, I thought, I did think, uh, and this is just for you if you like it, that uh, it'd be great for some of us to go back and thank the people that rescued us. And it might have been years ago just to say to them, hey, thank you. Thank you for, for sharing the gospel. Thank you for maybe being my friend. Thank you for taking me to church. And there may be three or four people in that journey. But going back and thanking them and encouraging them that it made a difference. You know, there's a story in Luke 7.36 about a woman who comes and anoints Jesus. Jesus is having um, dinner at Simon, uh, one of the Pharisees' houses, and... Um, lying there, and, and uh, this woman comes and starts putting perfume on his feet. Kind of, it seems really strange to us, I, know, I must say. Uh, anyhow, um, so here she is, she's doing this, and, you know, and, and the Pharisee says, mate, you know, doesn't, this, doesn't Jesus know who this woman is? She's a, she's, she's a, she's a really bad sinner. She, you know, she shouldn't be doing this. And Jesus tells a story about two people that had a debt. One had a debt of five million, and... One had a debt of $10. And uh, Jesus said to the, the guys, so if they both get their debts forgiven, who's the most grateful? Oh, the one that's had the five million. You know, they're the one who's most grateful. And so he likened it to this woman. And, and what struck me with this is that I think some of us forget what we've been saved for. Saved from, saved for. It's especially hard if you've been in the church for a long time. You forget. You just forget. You just start getting used to, dare I say, cruise ship life. I think also, though, there's a lot of people that have been brought up in Christian homes. And you don't quite realize what you've saved from. And I do think sometimes we've got to talk about how much our life has changed. And be thankful for it. See, on a rescue boat, everybody has a job. Some of the jobs are not very glamorous. A few years ago, or a year or two ago, I had the, the privilege of going on the uh, YWAM's Koha boat. Uh, how many people got to go on that? And let's have a look. Well, the one thing that I got struck was, was that the accommodation really wasn't that nice. It was pretty crammed. They had three or four bunks in, in one little tiny room. And I thought, where would I put all my stuff? 
where would Eleanor put all her stuff? <laughs> I thought, mate, you wouldn't be taking much on this, this trip. Why? Because you're on a rescue mission. You're not really about luxury. And then I went down into the, uh, into the engine where the engine room was. It was horrible. No windows, pretty stinky. It was really, really hot. Um, and there were three people, and, and their job was to go and work in the engine room right throughout the whole trip. I thought, man, that's not very glamorous at all, is it? But they needed to, to do that horrible job. And I got thinking about the church. And I thank all the people that do some of the horrible jobs. Some of the things that aren't very, very glamorous. But they make the boat go. They make the boat achieve its purpose. For all the people that give, it makes a difference. And sometimes we forget and we get lost in, in, in our own life. Dare I say we become narcissistic Christians where it's all about ourselves. And we forget our purpose is to rescue people. People are heroes, especially those who continue to do it time after time. And I suppose what's sad in the church, and, and I think it's possibly the same in the Coast Guard, that after a while people go, oh, you know, I've done my dash. I've helped the Coast Guard for a while. And they, and they stop doing the purpose of it. In Matthew 9, verse 35, it says this, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of the area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. He healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused, helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He said to the disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray for the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. In chapter 10, Jesus called his 12 disciples together and, excuse me, and gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. So in the Coast Guard, they meet every week. They have a connect group every week. And in that connect group, they do a lot of maintenance on their, on their, on their boats, fuel them up. They go out and practice doing rescues. Um, my friend was telling me how, you know, someone that none of the crew knows, they're all out there on there, and someone, their job is just to fall off when no one's looking. That's a pretty cool job, isn't it? <laughs> you hope. Have all the gear. So he said you just roll off the side and disappear. See how long before they realize that you've fallen off the boat. Yeah. Wow, okay. <laughs> Suddenly someone realizes. So as soon as someone realizes there's an alarm up, everybody, their first thing is, can we find that person? They're looking. You know, they're going in one direction, they're looking. And as soon as one person spots them, I found them, from then on, his job is to just spot that person. And the rest start doing the thing about turning the boat. He is not to take his eyes off that person. They said, if you in the sea, you take your eyes off the person, they're gone. You might not find them again. And they practice it. They practice 
rescuing people. They practice looking after each other. They practice and practice. It's not a, well, there is a bit of social at the end, but that's not the purpose of why they do it. They do it because they understand people need rescuing. People need rescuing. It's no different if you were to join the surf lifesaving thing. I, I did think about calling my message, are you a beach bum or a surf lifesaver? <laughs> but I just thought that was probably a little bit, you know. Look, to share the gospel is easy. Don't overcomplicate it. I think your first thing is you've got to get a burden for people. Jesus had compassion for people, and, and I, I suppose I'm sad that at times we lose that compassion, we lose that, we lose that understanding. And I do think the enemy wants us to think that life goes on forever. He wants us to think that, oh, there's not eternity. And in the end, Jesus is so loving and kind, he's just going to let you in. I mean, you can have whatever you want as your beliefs, but... The problem you're going to have is what's the reality and what's the truth. So three steps, I think. I think we need to pray. Pray for opportunities. Pray for our friends. If you've got five people that you're praying for that you want to see come to know Jesus, we've got to pray for them. And in that process of praying, I think God starts to move in our hearts and starts to give us compassion and starts us to see that the purpose and the reason we're here, you're here to see people saved. And then two, just be there for people. Talk to them, listen to them. And then third, look for spiritual opportunities. Pray for them, be there for them. To be there for them, you've probably got to take your eyes off your own life. <clears throat> And all the things that are happening in your life. If you think, oh, I'll start helping people when I get my life set. I know about you. I never get my life set. There's always something I have to work on. There's always something that, that, that's grabbing my attention or taking me on a... On a I, and in the end, you just got to come back and go, God, help me. And certainly praying helps see. And certainly listening to people's stories. And then look for opportunities and take them. Pray for people. I think a few weeks back I asked, when's the last time you prayed for people? People are open. People are open. Jesus said the harvest is great, but the workers are few. Jesus saw people without hope. I don't know about you, I can see people without hope. The world is hurting. Many struggle with all sorts of things and difficult situations, suffer injustice. The hurt, the pain, the needs in this world are overwhelming. Sometimes I think what can happen to us is that we've been so much in automatic Christian mode that, in a sense, Christianity doesn't actually work for us. And let me tell you how I see this. I see that the one thing about following Jesus is that you've got to decide that you're all in. And while ever you're not all in, all the things that we talk about, I don't think will really work for you. 
You can, you can fool everybody in the room, but you can't fool God. And so often we have one foot in one camp and one in the other, and then we wonder why our Christianity doesn't seem to be working for us. We wonder why our relationship with God isn't fulfilling, but we're not actually passionately giving our lives to him and pursuing him. If you want to have a Christian walk that, that is full of life and is living, you've got to be all in. You've got to pursue it. If you're in a boat and you don't have a motor, you just drift. If you don't row or you don't point in, the, you'll just drift. And the currents are pretty strong. I've been out in the, the harbor there, <laughs> excuse me, a few years ago, like a long time. I was very young and my dad had a boat. <clears throat> and we thought, great place to fish is right there in the middle of the channel. Dad puts out his anchor. We start fishing. That anchor didn't even hold. We were drifting all. And then the nightmare of all nightmares, the motor won't start. It's pulling it, pulling it, pulling it. I'm, I'm praying. Well, I don't, I'm just thinking, can I swim back to that shore? Can I get out? <clears throat> it's a horrible experience just drifting. You got no control. Well, I think that's the same in our Christian walk. If we're just drifting, we just end up going with the current. But if we go, right, I'm going to set. I'm going to, I'm going to walk towards God. I'm going to do everything I can to be in right relationship. I'm going to give him my life like we sing. <clears throat> William Booth, founder of the Salvation Army, had a vision of a great stormy ocean in which the world's multitudes were drowning. In this vision, he saw a great rock representing the church. Many had climbed onto it, escaping the peril of the ocean. Some were at the water's edge, helping rescue the drowning, and a few even diving back into the waters to save the drowning. But many on the rock had no concern for the drowning. They were consumed in their various pursuits and pleasures. He commented on the income comprehensibility of, those, of these saved ones having no compassion for those who were drowning before their very eyes. He also commented on how some of them gazed towards the mainland where they believed their saviour would one day come to rescue them from this rock. When all the while their saviour was in the stormy ocean behind them, calling to them to come and help him help the people. He said, look for yourselves. The surging sea of perishing soul rolls up to the very spot on which you stand. Quite, quite confronting. And I know I think it was William Booth that said he'd like to take all his, his workers and, and uh, dangle them over hell for five minutes just to make sure they understood what was happening. I don't know where that fits in the whole, you know. The harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. And in some ways, we've just entered a period that is probably going to be one of the most important in our generation. There's evidence to say that Christianity um, experiences periods of growth following pandemics throughout history. So there's a plague in Cyprian, um, 
and it, and it, which occurred mid-third century. This pandemic was one of the deadliest in history, killing an estimated 5,000 people per day in Rome alone. During this time, many people turned to Christianity as a source of comfort and hope. The church also gained a reputation for caring for the sick and dying, which further helped spread the faith. The Black, Play, uh, the Black Death, which ravaged Europe in the 14th century, uh, same thing, resulted in many people turning to Christianity for comfort and hope. The church also played a significant role in caring for the sick and dying during this time. Additionally, the devastation caused by the Black Death led some people to question their previous way of life and seek greater meaning in their existence, which could have contributed to the increase of Christianity. And in more recent times, there have been reports of increased interest in spirituality and religion following COVID-19. While it's too early to say whether this will lead to significant increase in conversions to Christianity, it is possible that the pandemic has caused some people to reevaluate their priorities and seek, seek a greater meaning in their lives. The harvest is ready. I don't know if you realize that straight after Jesus talking about this, he goes and chooses his 12 disciples. He goes, right, that's you. You're on. Well, you're chosen this morning. You're on. You're in. You're ready to go. I don't know if you've noticed, and I don't even think it's through any intentionality, that we have a number of things that we've got on there to happen that are there to train people. I, we haven't, I haven't sort of planned any of that. There just come these opportunities. Take them. If you say, I'm not, I'm not prepared, well, take one of these courses. Get prepared. Did you know that every one of you could become a surf lifesaver, even if you can't swim? Because they would show you how to swim. They would teach you. You'd go on a journey. They would show you to take a flotation device with you. They would train you to do it. Everybody would be able to found a part to play in the Coast Guard. Look, there's a place to find in the church to make a difference. You can do it. Musicians, you can come. At the beginning of the year, I read this story here to um, my staff. Um, it's a story, I'm not even sure where it, uh, it's, I'll just read it to you. I can't see where I got it from. I got it from, uh, it's one of Dave Mann's on his website. Thank you, Dave. You're awesome. The story is told of Reverend John Harper of Glasgow, Scotland. He pushed his way through towards the upper deck of a ship he was on, holding in his arms his only daughter, Nan with his sister-in-law, Miss Jessie Leach, clinging to his coat. It was a Titanic. It wasn't a dream. This ship was really going to sink, and this is a true story. Get the women and children and the unsaved into the lifeboats, he cried. Along with 1,500 others, he was left with no lifeboat to die in the cold waters. Beneath the clear night sky could be heard the cries of teeming masses of dying people in the cold waters. He had been on his way to Chicago where he would preach uh, an extended series of revival sermons at the Moody Tabernacle. He would never preach from that pulpit again. With his last breath, or his last strength and his last breath, he began swimming to dying souls crying out for them to be saved. Believe on Jesus Christ and you will be saved. 
He called to to a young man clinging to a piece of timber. Man, are you saved? No, I'm not, replied the young Scotsman named uh, Angela Webb. Harper took off his life jackets and gave it to Webb. Here then, you need this more than me. Webb protested, but Harper replied, don't worry about me. I'm going down, but I'm going up. As they were pulled apart by the current, Harper called back to Webb. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. A few moments later, Harper and Webb came in contact again and weakened with hypothermia and struggling to keep his head above the water, Harper gasped yet again, are you saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And this man did get saved. I think he was one of only six that actually survived that were in the water and weren't on on a lifeboat. Do you have that same desperation to tell people you need to believe in Jesus? Are you saved? Do you know the saving grace of Jesus? I'm totally convinced it's the best thing for life. I wouldn't want to be doing life without God. Is everything fantastic around me? No, no. But within, I've got this peace. I know where I'm going for eternity. I know what I'm doing is making a difference an eternal difference and it's worth it is there a price to pay without a doubt yeah salvation is a free gift but (laughs) you receive that but now there's a price to pay pray be there for people take spiritual opportunities and I've got in my last slide I've just got Alpha I don't know if you've ever done Alpha My condition of you doing Alpha is that you bring somebody that's not a Christian to Alpha. But we've had it there. This isn't as flash as the one that was on before. I just grabbed it. There's the details. You just need to go on our website right there. Courses, Alpha. Maybe you want to go do the Alpha course. Take someone. God was so moved with compassion for our greatest need that he left his throne in heaven and came to earth in Christ to get his hands really dirty and die. He called us to love as he loves. The gospel needs to be communicated. Will you do it? Will I do it? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your love for us. And Jesus, we are so thankful that you came and died for us. We thank you for salvation. Lord, I pray you would help us keep the main thing the main thing help us to do all that you've called us to do I ask it in Jesus name Amen